Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you this morning. Welcome you all here. Again, welcome those that are with us online as well as those here for the first time. Uh, glad that you are here. Uh, love that we had Jonna and Alyssa here. I love them so much. Love their family. We've actually known them uh, for a number of years and had an opportunity. And actually, John and I were on staff at a church uh, for a period of time together and and it turned out that everyone thought we were the same person. You can put up the picture here real quick. This is the picture of us standing. A lot of times people would go to John thinking they were talking to me or vice versa. So we had to like take notes and like, hey, John, somebody told you this or whatever. It was kind of, you can take that off. I was pulling that picture up. That was five years ago. I was really depressed at how black my beard was back then because I have a lot more white hairs than I used to have. But, uh, but we love John and Alyssa. Love that we're able to partner together with them and still be a part of what, what God's doing here in the city. And like I said, if you want to go back there after service, Service, connect with them, share with them, find out ways that you can get involved because it's, it's a beautiful ministry because we can partner uh, not just financially, but actually do something together, which is really, really cool about that. And uh, you may not realize this, just to inform you for a moment that, that uh, you know, we challenge the congregation to the tithe, which is to give the first 10% to the Lord. But as a congregation, we do the same thing. The first 10% that comes in for tithes and offering, we send back out the doors on a monthly basis to support missionaries and missions organizations, of which John and Alyssa are one. We got about 60 of those that we support on a monthly basis. But beyond that, we've got a group of people in our congregation that say, you know what, We're, I'm already tithing, but I want to give more than that. I want to give extravagantly. I want to invest in things that are eternal. I want to invest in the kingdom of God. And so we call that our kingdom builders, as we have a number of projects throughout the year that we support. And there's people that are constantly giving, 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 so that we can invest in helping fuel the work of God all around the world. It's a really fun thing that we get to be part of. In fact, this past week, uh, I was sitting down to lunch with somebody who was here about two years ago. His name's Will Jones. He spoke, and he shared about a need. They wanted to start this new project of bringing the gospel into some places in Africa that, that currently didn't have any churches. And so he kind of cast a little vision for that. And so we, as a church, we gave a, an offering, you know, it was just like $7,000 that we invested one Sunday. We took a little offering and we were able to give it to him. As a result of that, uh, he gave me a, a report. He said, oh, this is Greg, it's not even been two years. You were the very first church to invest in this thing. It's called the Philip Project. Since then, so it's less than two years, they've brought the gospel to 128,000 people who've never heard the gospel before. They've seen 17,000 people make decisions to follow Jesus. Yeah, and they have planted 41 churches in those areas. That's the kind of stuff that we invest in. That's the kind of stuff that we put our money to. You know what? Guess what? When you buy a shirt next year, it's going to be out of style or it's going to be ripped, okay? But when we invest in things that are eternal, we see souls that come into the kingdom of God for all of eternity. And so we want to be the kind of church that invests that. And so this year, uh, we have our kingdom offering, which is kind of the end of the year offering that's happening on November 20th. Just mark your calendar. My challenge is that you would be a part of that. We're looking for a crazy number. We're looking to meet their men. There's some big needs that we still have. We've seen over $100,000 already come in this year for Kingdom Builders, but we want to see more than that because there's so many things that we can invest in. So I just challenge you to begin to pray about how might you be a part of that so that we can see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread to the end of the world. Amen? So we are going to uh, jump into our message this morning as we're continuing in the series, Kingdom Living. This fall, we've been going through uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous teaching about what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God. And he's been challenging us over and over and over again. I want to encourage you, don't miss next Sunday. Next Sunday is a big Sunday, number one. It's costume Sunday, so all the kids bring your costumes. You know, adults, you can wear whatever you want to, too. That's fine. But bring your kids. We're going to have costume Sunday, a fun day. But, but next week, if you've ever... If you've ever struggled with like, I know I'm supposed to pray, but, but like 30 seconds in, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> you ever have those moments? Like prayer is a struggle. 
Okay, we're going to talk about that next week. And so it's going to be a great message to really help us. We're actually going to kind of live out some of those things next week. So I encourage you not to miss next Sunday, all right? But today we're going to dive back into Matthew chapter 5. You've got your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. And if you would, would you stand with me? Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. We're going to read a, a few sections, so you're just going to have to follow along with me. I'm going to kind of jump around here a little bit. Beginning in verse 33, it says this. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Jump down to verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Jump down to verse number 43. You have heard that it was said, love your enemy and hate, or love your, sorry, love your, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. And I've already proven that I'm incapable of speaking this perfectly, Lord. So God, we are asking that you would speak to our hearts. All of us, including me, we come under the authority of your scripture right now. We ask you'd speak to us, give us your wisdom, and help us to live it out. Pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. All right, so I want to do a little, uh, I'm going to do a little survey here in a moment because I need some information. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor. Don't turn to your neighbor quite yet, but I'm going to ask you to answer this question to your neighbor. I want you to ask how often, and answer this, how often do you make your bed? And you're going to have three options to tell your neighbor, okay? Your answers are A, always, B, sometimes, or C, never. I couldn't possibly think of a bigger waste of time, okay? Turn to your neighbor and give them what is your answer to this survey, all right? Okay. All right, all right, all right. All right, we're going to do, by a show of hands, we're going to be honest here. Let's be honest. You may, how often you make your bed? Number eight, always. How many, there you go, always. All right, raise your hand if it's sometimes. Where are the sometimes people at? Okay, where are the never? I couldn't possibly think of a bigger waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. There's the fun people right there, right? Woo. Woo. I got <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in that camp. If it was just me, I would be in that camp. I'm like, dude, I'm going to be in that bed in 15 hours. I'm not making my bed right now. But I, and so I've told my wife, sweetheart, when you see the bed made, you should receive that as an act of love because there is literally nothing in me that wants to do it. The only reason I am doing that is because I love you and she wants the bed to be made, all right? And so <laughs> she does. She loves that. Because so, honestly, I don't think slop, when it comes to our bed, I don't think sloppiness really matters that much, okay? Maybe it does to you. It doesn't matter to me, right? But when it comes to our faith, Jesus has something to say about sloppiness. And so that's what he's going to, he's going to really challenge us a little bit today on this one, okay? And so I want to give you a little context to the passage that we looked at today. Remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, got the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to live under his rule and his reign? And he talks about this whole idea. He's fulfilling the Old Testament. He's filling up and completing the Old Testament. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And then we talk about this idea of calling us to righteousness, because Jesus starts challenging people and saying, listen, you are called to pursue righteousness. And not righteousness isn't what you think, it's what God thinks. It's doing things according to what his ways are, not our perspective, not our ideas. What does he actually say? So he's calling us to righteousness. And the good news, and I shared this last week, is that the good news isn't like we just try harder to be good people. 
Like that's not what the gospel says. It says that when we follow Christ, what happens? He puts his Holy Spirit in us. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides in you. So it isn't just depending on ourselves. We are called to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us to live differently, that he transforms our hearts. He transforms our desires. He makes us into a new creation. That's the good news of the gospel. And he's inviting us to live differently. And so the passage that we're looking at, Jesus is talking about righteousness, and he starts raising the bar, like lifting up, making it a little higher than what they had experienced. And this was the principle that we looked at last week. It's this, whenever Jesus raises the bar, specifically on righteousness, when he raises the bar, he clarifies kingdom values. He clarifies the things that are important if we're going to be kingdom people, if we're going to follow God's ways. And so if you were here last uh, Sunday, we talked about a number of those values. There was the value of marriage. Right? And we gave the challenge like, that our call is to cherish it. And then we talked about the value of purity. Purity. He talks specifically of sexual purity, that he's calling us to another level of purity. And he said, listen, cut it off. Whatever is taking you the wrong way, if anything's taking you, cut it off. Get it out of your life. And then the last one, he talked about reconciliation, like our relationships with other people. And he said, we're called to be those people who pursue reconciliation. So we gave the challenge last week. If there's something going on in your life, deal with it. There's a broken relationship, deal with it. Don't just go along with it. Don't pretend like nothing's there. No, we go confront it and we go deal with it and pursue reconciliation. So this morning, we're gonna dig into three more passages here together. So if you look with me at verse number 33, it says this. Again, you've heard that it was said to, go to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Like, why is he talking about oaths? It's very similar to something you and I have probably done before. How many of you have ever found yourself saying something like this? I promise, I promise. I swear, I swear. I swear to God. I swear to God. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Okay, you remember that one? I had to look that one up because I couldn't actually remember all the words. <laughs> okay, but we say things like that. Why do we say things like that? Why do we find ourselves saying those? It's because we've just said something that might not be able to stand on its own. There's something about the way that we share, like, I don't know that they're going to believe this thing here. And so Jesus is actually dealing with this, and he raises the bar on this whole idea of oaths and of swearing by things, and in turn, he clarifies the value of truth, right? When we say things like that, when we feel this need to swear by things or make an oath, we believe that people, like, what we are saying, they don't actually believe it. Like, what we are saying is not actually trustworthy to them. And so we say, I, I swear, I swear I make an oath, I'm going to make an oath on this kind of thing. And so Jesus is confronting this. Look what he says. The very next verse, he says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. And he says, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it is this footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. And so he's saying, here's what's happened. These people, they're not speaking enough truth. So to, to try and verify, to prove to you that what I'm saying is true, I'm going to swear by heavens or I'm going to swear by this thing. I'm going to make some oath about these things. So you'll believe what I'm saying. Jesus saying, don't do that. It's stupid and it's foolish because number one, you are in this place where, where nobody really believes you. But number two, the issue is you have no control over the things you're trying to swear an oath over. Like by heaven, you have no control over heaven. What does that have to do with you? You don't even have control to make your hair black or white. The older you get, you know what I'm talking about, right? How many of you are, I won't even ask you, but some of us are pluckers, you know what I'm talking about? You see the white hair, you're like, oh, yoink, we're going to know him. I stopped doing that because I was losing too many hairs. But like, 
we don't have control of those things. And Jesus is saying, listen, you don't have control over those things. So why are you trying to swear by those things? And so he gives another command. Very simple. Very simple. Look what it says in verse number 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Just yes or no. Just speak the truth. Like if you consistently speak the truth, guess what you will be? Trustworthy. So the next time you have to say something, no, I swear, I swear, I swear. I'm gonna, I gotta know if I'm gonna swear by heaven that this is true. No, no, no. Just yes or no. Let your yes be yes. You speak the truth. See, a lot of times when we, I, I say this all the time, that a lot of times we see God's laws is restrictive when in reality they're protective. Like he's protecting us. Because we hear this like, oh, oh, so Greg, you're telling me don't lie. Like I just can't lie. Sure, but that's not what we're really saying. Saying speak the truth. Why is that? I won't ask you to raise a hand, but you ever had a moment where maybe you have lied about something or you've deceived in some way? And then you find yourself having to lie again and deceive a little bit more to cover up the first thing you did. You know, like suddenly you're like in this like train of deception and you're like, oh, now you can't even remember. What was the first thing I said? Oh, who did I talk to? What did I say? Oh. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm inviting you to something better. You want to live in my kingdom? Just live in truth. You don't have to sit and worry about, oh, what did I say? Who did I hurt? Where? Did I? No, no, no. You get to be honest. There's freedom in it. There's salvation. This is the Zoe life I'm inviting you into. It's better. And so I want to give you a question. I want you to let this maybe meddle with you a little bit. The question is this. Is there a person or a situation where you are fuzzy with the truth? Is there a person or a situation where you can be a little fuzzy with the truth? Now think about it. Is it with a spouse? Is it with your kids? Is it with a boss? Is it with your parents? You know? Who is it? Is it issues of integrity where you're just like, oh, I'm not really being totally honest about what's going on here? You know, is there an issue of purity where you're hiding things from someone, intentionally deceiving other people about those things? Is it an issue you just don't follow through? Think about it. it would your kids say that you are trustworthy, that your yes is yes and your no is no? I have to ask myself that sometimes, like, because sometimes I'll say something, I'm like, oh, I didn't follow through on that thing. Okay? God is calling us to be people of truth, not because it's something that's hurting us, it's restricted. No, it is, it's freeing us. It sets us free when we're able to live out the kingdom value of truth. We go on in the passage. It says this in verse number 38. It says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, when we dig into this one, uh, this is a quote from the Old Testament. This eye for eye, tooth for tooth is quite, quote straight out of the Old Testament. And I think some people hate this phrase when we talk about it because you think, how, how, how could a loving God possibly say, if you, know, if you hurt, take my eye, I'm going to take your eye, you take my tooth, I'm going to take... How, how could a loving God ever say something like that? And I'll just say this, that we have a tendency to look at everything from our own personal vantage point. And for us in this room, for many of us, we would say, hey, we are Christians living in 2022, living in a nation that's been grounded in Judeo-Christian values. That's our starting point. So we look back in history and say, how could you ever have, I can't believe you would have done that, thought that. And then we look at this and say, God, how could you make a command like this into a nation that existed three to 4,000 years ago? And he's speaking. What is God doing? God at this time is raising a people out of the Canaanite area. And these people, I'm going to be honest, they were vile. 
They were disgusting. The things they were doing were horrible. Sacrificing children. Their sexuality was perverse and horrible. And God is trying to raise a people out of this. This Israelite tribe, he's raising them up out of here. And so he begins to speak some, th- some truths that will guide the way that they live. And one of them is this thing right here. And it says it this way in Exodus. If you turn to me, it says this. But if there is a serious injury, all right, somebody injures somebody else, okay? You are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And you look at that and you're like, That's, that seems morbid, God. How could you do that? You don't understand that God was raising the bar when he said this. Because in their land, what would happen? You take my eye, I kill you and your whole family. Like they had no understanding of, of, of understanding a, a normal way of doing things and what would be right under God's plan. And so, so God raises the bar to this whole thing. And there's two reasons why he says this. One, he's defining justice. It's equal, right? That's what he's defining justice. But number two, he's limiting retribution. Because he's saying, listen, you can't just go do whatever you want. When somebody hurts you, you can do whatever you want to them. Like we see this command is harsh, but it was meant to avoid excessive vengeance. That's the point. God had raised the bar for them. But Jesus comes and he raises the bar even further in this area. And in doing so, he clarifies the value of grace and forgiveness. Grace and forgiveness. There's two cornerstone values of the gospel in the the kingdom of God. Two values, grace and forgiveness. And I think we understand these values. Why? Because this is what we've received from God. We have received grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace is unmerited favor. It's favor that you don't deserve. So when we say amazing grace, what is it? Receiving what we didn't deserve. And God gives us his grace. It's by grace you've been saved. Here's what it says in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's what grace is. But then we talk about forgiveness. And forgiveness is the antithesis of vengeance, isn't it? It's the antithesis of this whole retribution or paying back. And we receive forgiveness from God. It says it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, in him, in Christ, we uh, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this is what I've given you. And if you're going to be my kingdom people, this is what I'm going to ask of you. That you would live out the same thing. That you would live out grace. That you would give unmerited favor to people in your life that don't deserve it. That you would extend forgiveness to people who don't actually deserve it. I'm inviting you to live different. I know everybody else is all vengeance and I'm going to take it out and I'm going to get it. No, you're going to be different because you're going to be my kingdom people. You're going to live a different way. And then Jesus goes on to give us a whole bunch of examples for this. You look what it says. It says, uh, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn to them the other cheek also. You've heard this before. Here's what you have to understand. He says the right cheek. You assume a right-handed person. How does a a right-handed person hit the right cheek of somebody? Backhanded. Okay? This isn't just injury. This is insult is what he's talking about. So somebody insults you, they injure you. Yeah, we're going to be one that turns the other cheek. We don't look for vengeance in that moment. We operate different. He goes on then and says this. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt... Hand over your coat as well. Here's the deal. Legally, they couldn't take someone's coat. They could only sue for their shirt. And Jesus is saying, when they sue you for your shirt, give them the coat anyway. Go above and beyond. 
We're talking, this is radical. This is crazy. He goes on, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is called Roman compulsion. The Romans could actually compel a, someone to carry their stuff for them for one mile and no further. And Jesus said, if they make you go a mile, you go another mile anyways. They can't do it, but you're going to do it anyways. He goes on, he says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He's calling us to this generous open-handed living, not to live like this, tight-fisted, but to live open-handed. Now, I can imagine what some of you are probably thinking to yourselves. You read that, you're like, this is crazy, Greg. <laughs> this is crazy, Greg. So you're saying, I can't even defend myself. I can't even, like somebody slaps me, I just got to take it, whatever. Okay, well, we recognize that um, there's a moment where, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he tells them to go get a sword, okay? There was a sense of, like, there's going to be a time where you may have to defend yourself in some way. And so I don't think what Jesus is preaching here is some like extreme pacifism that says you can never lift a hand to protect yourself. I don't think that's what he's talking about, which is good news because I'm just going to warn you all, if you, anybody ever tries to come after my kids or my wife, you're going to have to get through me. And I know I look big and tough. I'll bite your kneecaps if I have to. I don't care. <laughs> Like, whatever it is. Like, I'm defending my kids. Like, that's just how it is. Okay? Whatever I got to do, we're going to do it. All right? So I don't think it's extreme pacifism that he's talking about here. But there's another thing that, I, that you're probably listening to. You say, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, it may not be extreme pacifism. But if we live this thing out, won't I be taken advantage of? And here's the hard part. Yeah. You will. 100%. There will be times where you will be taken advantage of. And so we just think about Jesus. Remember, he was right, king of all creation. He was God. And yet, what did he do? He was slapped, he was beaten, he was bruised, crown of thorns in his head, nails in his hands, carried his cross up a hill, spear in the side. And at the end of all that, what did he pray? Father, forgive them. It's radical. It's, it's crazy. And he's calling us to the same thing. And, and I would just say this, if this teaching makes you uncomfortable, good. Because I think that was Jesus' intention. Because the way of the world, the way of Babylon, the way of Rome, the way of our culture is vengeance, payback, get my own. But Jesus is calling us to live differently, to live under a different value, a different virtue, and to say, you know what? I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to be the person who extends grace. I'm going to be the person who pursues forgiveness in my life. I'm going to live different. And when we operate as a community that way, I tell you, we look different than the world around us. All right? So there's a question I want to I close with this one. It's this. Who do you need to forgive or show grace to? Like, who's the person in your life you need to, because you, you've been holding on to it. You've been holding on to bitterness. Who's the person you need to forgive? Who's the person, you know what? They don't deserve it, but I'm going to give them unmerited favor anyways. I'm going to show grace on them anyways. Because remember, I said the last one, truth actually sets you free. This isn't a rule. The same way when you're called to forgive someone, guess what happens? You get set free. Because when you choose not to forgive them, who's the one who's actually being bound? It's you. And Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into a better life. When you can forgive, you actually get set free. There's life there, all right? All right, so we go on to the next section, and it says this, verse number 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, the first part of this thing, love your neighbor, like the first part, that was scripture, 100% scripture. But the whole part about hating your enemy, that wasn't scripture, 
Like they were going around clearly quoting this, but that's not even in the Bible. And I think sometimes we can be guilty of that. We're like quoting stuff like, that's not actually in the Bible. <laughs> Stop saying that, okay? And, and so it's crazy here, though, because it's more than just that they're not quoting in the Bible. They're misinterpreting what is in the Bible because they're trying to say, oh, love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is the people like me. They're other Jews. They're people that believe what I believe and do what I do and all those kind of things. But I hate all those other people. And if you're familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, you remember Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. What's the point of that? The point of that story is to blow up their vision of who their neighbor is and to say, guess who your neighbor is? It's the person who thinks different than you, who looks different than you, who lives different than you, who values different things than you. That's your neighbor, and I'm calling you to love that person. That's what kingdom people are called to. But what is this whole idea of love? See, he raises this value, and, and we talk about the value of love. What is this love actually look like? And biblical love... Biblical love, I'll tell you what it isn't. Biblical love is not emotions, okay? Because you have that person in your life, you're like, oh, I can't stand them. Can't stand them. Biblical love is not, oh, I feel like it. Oh, they're so nice. I love them. Because guess what? Sometimes you don't feel like loving people. You know what I'm saying? You got people in your life that drive you crazy. Like, how am I supposed to love this person? They're a jerk. I hate them. I can't. I just don't want to be around them, okay? Okay. It's not a feeling, right? Biblical love is not Blind affirmation, I'm just going to affirm whatever you say and whatever you want. I'm just, that's what I'm going to do. That's not what biblical love is. Biblical love isn't coddling someone, right, and say, oh, it's okay. You don't have to deal with that. That's not it. No, no, no. That's not what it is. Biblical love is not avoiding the truth, saying, you know what, I'm not going to say this because I don't, I don't want to hurt their feelings. No, no, they, sometimes they need to hear that thing. What does biblical love actually look like? I think the best way to understand what biblical love is is to see how God relates to us and to model that and to reflect that. How does he relate to us? He pursues us. He desires what's best for us. He, he speaks truth to us. He works for our good on our behalf, even if it means sacrificing himself. That's what Christ has done for us. And so what Jesus is saying, when you're going to love your enemy, right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do all that stuff that I do for you. You're going to do that for the person you don't normally like. The person you can't really stand being around you're going to do that. You're going to pursue good for them. You're going to lift them up. You're going to encourage them. You're going to speak like You're going to lay your rights down on occasion for their betterment, for their advantage. That's what you're going to do. But, but Jesus doesn't just stop there. He raises the bar even further because then what does he say? Not only are you going to love them, what are you going to do? You're going to pray for them. You're going to pray for them. And you're not going to pray for them with like the, the self-righteous prayer that says, oh, Jesus, thank you that I'm not like that poor sinner over there. You know, the Pharisees were praying like that. And you're not going to pray a get them prayer. How many of you ever had a get them prayer? Oh, Jesus, would you get them? Jesus, go get them. Go smite them, Lord. Take them out. Take my enemy. You know, you're not going to pray that kind of prayer. You're going to pray a kingdom prayer, a kingdom prayer that says, God, would you bless them? God, would you do good in their life? God, would you lead them to a place of health and prosperity? Would you do something positive in their life, right? You're gonna pray that kind of a prayer. And if you're like me, you think about that and you say to yourself, yeah, but that's not normal. <laughs> like when we're mad at somebody, when you're frustrated, it's not normal to wanna play bl pray blessing over their life, is it? Like, I don't want to do that. This isn't normal, but the reality is everything we've been talking about in the last two weeks, none of it's normal. Forgiving people isn't normal. 
It's just not the normal way. We so often, we're fighting against that. Speaking the truth so often isn't normal. We oftentimes want to deceive and, and make ourselves look good rather than speaking the truth. But Jesus is saying, listen, I'm inviting you as kingdom people into a better way of doing things, a better life, one that's filled with hope and prosperity, but it requires you to live different than everybody else. And if my, as my kingdom people, if you actually could get a hold of these truths, your, your home will look different, your, your workplace will look different, this kingdom community, this church could look different, and I believe we can be a testimony to a world around us that doesn't experience truth. They have no idea what grace and forgiveness feels like because nobody wants to extend it to them, and they've never experienced love from a person that doesn't look like them. God's saying, hey, I'm inviting you to a different place. I'm, I'm challenging, I'm, I want you to raise up. Get out of the muck. Quit living like everybody else does. Everybody else lives like that, and it ends up killing them. I'm inviting you to something that's better. It's going to breathe life into your community, life into your family, life into every circumstance you're a part of. So I want to get to a last question here, and it's for this last section. Who do you need to start praying for? Who do you need to start praying for? There's a question behind that question. Who's the person that drives you nuts? <laughs> It's a person that you would say, I, I might be on the border of hating that person. Like, I can't stand them. Are they in your family? You know, are they on, at, at work? Is it somebody at school? Is it a neighbor? They drive you crazy. Okay, once you figure out who that person is, that person, when they're around, like something in you just goes like, Ugh. all right, now you know who the person is. That's the person you need to pray for. And not a get them prayer. You're going to pray, God, would you bless them? Would you speak to them? Would you lead them to good? Because as we begin to do that, guess what will happen to your heart when you begin to pray like that? Your heart will change. God will begin to shape something in you, and that's part of the journey God has us on. It's not just what happens through your prayers to others. It's what happens through your prayer in your own heart. God begins to shape us and to mold us and to make us new, all right? So I want to get to our big so what. We always say, so what? What's the point of this thing? Big so what this morning is this. Don't let God's grace be a license for sloppy faith. So I said at the beginning that, you know, when it comes to your bed, sloppiness doesn't really matter. I don't really care. Make your bed, don't make your bed, doesn't really matter. But when it comes to faith, we can't allow grace to be a license for sloppy faith. Why is that? Because here's what can happen. We love quoting verses like this that say, if we confess with our our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. We love that verse, right? But if we're not careful, we can use verses like that to say, ah, I can do whatever I want to because all I have to do is just ask forgiveness and move on. I don't really have to pr pursue holiness. Like I, can, I say it all the time, we just kind of look at everyone else like, eh, I'm doing okay compared to everybody else. That's fine. That'll do. That's all I need to worry about. And anything else, I'll just ask forgiveness. Not a big deal. But we've seen throughout this series that Jesus is saying, no, I'm calling you to a deeper level. I want you to pursue righteousness, doing the right thing according to what I say, that you would live out the values that I have for you. Jesus is constantly calling us back to this thing. He's asking us. He's saying, you can't get sloppy just because there's grace. Yes, there's grace. And it's amazing. It's not what you deserve. You don't earn your salvation. You don't earn that from God. It is a gift of God. Absolutely. But don't let that gift... Be a license to be sloppy, to say nothing else matters because he does ask us to follow. He says, follow me, die to your desires, and follow me, serve me. And when we do that, the dirty little secret is that we get the Zoe life that he's created for us. It's the gift, all right? 
There's a passage in scripture in Romans where Paul talks about this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Oh, God's grace, it's amazing. Let's just keep sinning so we can have more grace. No, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? It says it this way in the book of Hebrews. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace. God's grace saved us. His death and resurrection saves us. But he's calling us to live in response. Would we live lives of purity in response to him? And so, uh, pull this out here. Anybody out there a bowler? Any bowlers? Got a couple? <laughs> this, thing's, this thing's a little greasy. Sorry. Oh. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I caught that with my left foot. Titus, I'm sorry. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not a bowler. <laughs> uh, I can do other things. I'm just not good at bowling. I I I'm like excited if I get 100. You know, like anybody else that way, like, thank you, G I hit 100. Yay. Okay. Has ever, anybody ever gone bumper bowling, though? Thank you, Jesus, for bumper bowling. <laughs> Bumper bowling is amazing. If you've never gone bumper bowling, they, in the gutters, what do they do? They have these little things that pop up so that you can't throw a gutter ball. It just pops the ball right back onto them. It's awesome. And so the goal with bowling is, right, you come up, you bowl. The goal is to knock the pins down, right? That's the goal. We're going to knock the pins down. But the good news of bumper bowling is that if it gets off course at all, the bumper can kind of knock that thing back in and help you get the goal accomplished, which is what? Knock the pins down. But how foolish would it be for me if I went to the, the bumper bowling thing and rather than trying to knock the pins down, I just turned sideways and try to ram this thing straight into the bumper over and over again. Just, boom, let's see if I, I'm gonna see if I can jump the bumper. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna slam this thing in. Eventually, the person who worked at the place is probably gonna come tell me, you get, get out of here, quit it. That's not what the bumpers are for. They're to help you knock the pins down. They're not for you to just try and slam into them over and over again. And I know this is a crass example but I think this is something that could speak to our hearts. Because when it comes to faith, the goal is to knock the pins down. And the good news is that we have the grace of God because we're gonna do it imperfectly. God knows it. And when we fail, God's grace is there to help us knock the pins down. But we cannot be those who just said, eh, it doesn't really matter. I'm just gonna keep slamming into the bumpers over and over again. Sin doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want to. God will forgive me. Grace, mercy, you don't have to worry about it. Say, no, that's not what we're called to. I say all the time, you, you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to make him your Lord, that's not just a thought that is proven with action. That says, God, I don't just call you Lord, it is an act of submission to your will and to your purposes, and I submit myself to what you say. Do I do it perfectly? No, I don't, and you won't either. But I pursue to live in submission to your will. I'm not looking to ram the bumpers. I'm looking to knock the pins down. And so this morning, I want to give us an opportunity of repentance. And that's the challenge for this morning, is that we would simply repent. What is repentance? Repentance means I acknowledge that what I am doing, the, the ways that I've walked different, the ways I've been trying to ram into the bumpers, I acknowledge that is what it is, sin. I agree with you, God, about this. And I turn away from it. And I want to pursue a different way of living.
And I want to give us an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak in areas because there are probably areas in our life where if we're totally honest, we haven't been living out the values of the kingdom of God. Sin has been a part of our lives, and I believe God is calling us to say, you know what, I don't want to get sloppy in that area. I don't want to do that. And so I want you to, I want you to put up the list. Here's a list of things. In your marriage, have you gotten sloppy in your marriage? You've not been pursuing, you've not been caring, you've not been loving, right? There's a brokenness there in some way. It comes to your purity. We talked about it last week. There's an impurity, maybe a sexual impurity or something in your life. And you're just allowing it. It's okay. You put up with it. You've gotten sloppy there. Is there reconciliation? Is there broken relationships? And you just let them be broken. You haven't done anything to try and pursue them. I shared last week that the Holy Spirit put something on my heart, a relationship that I needed to pursue reconciliation. And I'll say this. I had that conversation this past week. And I'll say also, it didn't go as well as I would have hoped it would have. But as far as it's up to me, I'm going to live at peace with others. And so that's the challenge. Sometimes you're going to pursue reconciliation, and it's not going to work out the way you want it to. But we do whatever God has called us to. Can we submit to his ways, right? When it comes to truth, are there some fuzzy areas where you're like, you know what, I'm not really honest in these areas of my life. Grace and forgiveness. Are there people where you're like, I'm, no, I want to hold vengeance. I want vengeance. I don't want forgiveness there. And are there people that you struggle to love or pray over? I want to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to our hearts. I'm going to invite you to stand with me across the room. I want to pray over us. And then we're going to have a, just a moment of response, just for two, three minutes. Chance to just respond to say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Is there an area where I need to submit? These are going to stay on the screen just for a moment. And would you say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to do? Is there a way I've been a little sloppy where you're maybe calling me to a higher level? Father, I thank you so much that you're inviting us into something better always. God, I pray over the next moment, Lord, I pray that this would be a divine moment as you're wanting to do transformative work in our hearts. Give us your, your wisdom. Give us your guidance, we pray, Lord, and help us to be submissive to your way, Lord. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a moment and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts.